You're listening to the Design Engineering Podcast, where we explore topics important to Canada's mechanical engineers, product designers, and machine builders. I'm Mike McLeod, editor of Design Engineering Magazine, and this episode features a conversation with Canada Makes board member Mark Kirby, as well as Steve Kleimaker, the Additive Manufacturing Association's Director of Community Relations. Mark and Steve discuss the organization's recent relaunch, how it has changed since its inception, and Canada Makes vision for the future of the 3D printing industry in Canada. But before we jump in, a few words from this episode's sponsor, Igus. Igus provides 3D printing filaments and powders designed specifically for motion and wear. Igus also manufactures plane bearings, linear systems, and cable carriers that are made with innovative self-lubricating injection-molded plastics. Speak to one of their representatives about how they can assist with your application. Visit igus.ca to learn more. That's igus.ca. With that, let's get into the interview. Welcome, guys, to the Design Engineering Podcast. Why don't we go around and, and introduce introduce yourselves and tell us who you are and, and what organization you work for and what you do there. Absolutely. I'll jump in here. So Steve Kleimaker checking in. I'm the Director of Community Relations Sorry for Canada Makes. So Canada Makes is premier Canada's premier additive manufacturing network. We're a company of approximately 50 members, and we are looking to promote the adoption and awareness of 3D printing and additive manufacturing here in Canada. And Hi, Mike. Uh, Mark Kirby. I'm with the University of Waterloo, and I'm one of the board members on Canada Makes. Uh, been in additive manufacturing for about 10 years. Uh, and again, my job is to promote the adoption, the understanding and adoption of additive manufacturing um, across Canada. So thanks for having us. No, absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's a fascinating topic and one that I'm always interested to glean uh, as much information as I can about it. Is this like a, an industry association? Is this an advocacy thing? Uh, are you in some way connected to, well, well, we'll get into that. Is it, how would you describe it as an organization? Well, technically we are a, an industry led group, but it is owned and operated by each of the members. So as I mentioned, we're approximately 50 members uh, about nine to 10 universities are currently on board. And really, it's it's just a, a brain trust and a think tank of all more or less the best minds of 3D printing and, uh, and additive manufacturing here in Canada in one place, bouncing ideas, learning about how we can help each other out, and overall just raising the profile of the group and each company here in Canada. And so you guys used to be part of the Canadian Manufacturers and Exporters Association, that that was that's how I remember it. But I I did notice that in June of this year, just a couple of months ago, that that the organization was relaunched. Has it changed? Was there a reason that it needed to be relaunched? What was the what were the advantages of of sort of of uh, resurrecting? Or it, it never went really went away. It was just sort of reformed in a new under a new structure. Technically, right? technically yes. I think uh, everybody everybody's aware with just the amount of COVID shutdowns that happened and everything that affected the industry that way. So uh, not to completely blame COVID, but it is under a relaunch. We are kind of in a, re a rebirth. So uh, yes, we were under CME 
ownership management before, but now we are more so of, as I mentioned, a member-led industry group. I see. And are there advantages to that? Uh, is there, does it allow you certain freedoms or, or the ability to do things that you didn't have access to before? Or I wouldn't say that we were never able to do things that would benefit the membership, but uh, sure. yes, to that point, there might be more freedom in this new uh, reincarnation. Who, what are there? They're like 40 plus members, 42, 43, something like that. Are they mainly from the private industry? Are they mainly academic? What's, what's the general split there? Yes, it, it's really, it's across the board. So as I mentioned, we're, we're upwards of 50 groups or 50 companies. We're nine universities. It's across research, research labs, machine manufacturers, service providers. There's a few resellers, they're prototype companies. And really, it's, a, it's across all industries. So there's automotive represented, oil and gas, agriculture, aerospace, nuclear. We're really everywhere where there's any sort of 3D printing or additive manufacturing Canada, we're represented. So gotcha. to your point, uh, Frank with NGen, Frank DeFalco, yes, he certainly is involved or was involved in the previous and is currently still involved today. So how, so far as the advocacy part of, of it, is it, is it, uh, is it to market it, to, to meet with different companies? I know Engine does a certain amount of that kind of, um, I know that they had at least one project where they were providing financing for companies to sort of test drive 3D uh, th or additive manufacturing. But this is, this is more of an advocacy, uh, sort of getting the word out, educating people. Um, maybe approaching companies to see how how uh, your membership might help them in different areas of their production. Absolutely, you, you said it perfectly. It's, okay. it's essentially it's giving the industry a megaphone and trying to increase awareness, increase adoption, and really just get the word out there. So it's not only in Canada. We are trying to get Canadians and Canadian companies on the map abroad as well, and just showcasing oh, to the okay. world what. Canada, Canada makes and Canadian industry really can do. Gotcha. Interesting. I, th I th think I can probably sort of jump in there, Mike, with a little bit more. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about sure. learning, learning about additive. Um, and that's certainly um, if you go to canadamakes.ca, you can learn about what's going on there. But uh, as a consumer, you know, we're quite used to, if you like, maybe going to Amazon if we want to get something. Um, and uh, but maybe we'll look at some customer reviews to try and make a decision as to which specific product we're going to buy from who. When it comes to 3D printing, the difficulty really is, well, they're, they're your parts, you know, that nobody else has made something necessarily like that. So where do you go for this sort of um, uh, consumer review? And, and really, this is what Canada Makes is about, that it's really um, we've got 50 odd organizations companies everybody really mike is all in whether they're academics whether they're resellers um, whether they're um, bureau service providers you know every everybody is all in but in in a canadian style i think that um, now in 2022 uh, people have realized that collaboration in canada is the way forward and so I like to sort of say Canada makes is, you know, it's powered by humans, not by an algorithm. And when you want to get that advice about your, your project, your parts, um, if you just want a price, then yeah, you can go to an algorithm and you can get a price. 
but typically most people have um, higher level requirements than that and they need advice and they need where do you go for that and if you go for example to LinkedIn you know which would be uh, or Google neither of those are very satisfactory experiences um, so Canada makes uh, consists of a network of companies who can provide advice we will find you a solution to your problem and if we can't help we'll find somebody who can um, and I think it's that um, that Canada makes will be a good place to go uh, in order to both, you know, learn about the technology, but actually to do business with it. And that's the value for the members is, you know, uh, it's not just about talking to one another. As Steve was saying, Canada Makes is now part of a network of over 150 different companies growing very rapidly. I know everyone likes to say exponentially, but it's growing rapidly. We're using some advanced technology because today companies don't really compete with one another it's supply chains competing so Canada makes is really one of the initiatives to connect networks internationally and to bring business into our network from other networks so you know as an example in Canada it could be maybe somebody has a, a lumber mill um, in New Brunswick and they they have a problem with their with some very large equipment, can 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 Canada makes help? Um, and the answer is yes. Yeah, somebody in Canada makes for sure can help. Um, so that's where somebody outside of the network would be saying, "We've got this kind of requirement." So we're looking to sort of develop a almost like a one click where you could access the entire Canadian ecosystem and say, "This is my problem. Can somebody help me with it?" Um, and you know, it's easy to say that. It's hard to do, but that's our vision, Mike. Gotcha. I was going to ask you how people outside the organization can best uh, tap into. Uh, and it's just it. my sense of it from what you've said so far is that it's this non-competitive, neutral. Uh, it's not it's not connected to any particular technology or material or process. It's just we are the collective experts on this in Canada, bring us your problem and we will sort of help you troubleshoot or um, advise or consult with you about which one of the, you know, whichever of the the uh, technologies or abilities inside our, our collective is best suited for the project Absol that you have. Absolutely right, Mike, you know, and, you know, as, as, as humans and as employees, having a bad experience is generally not, while we do learn from failure, it's typically not what you want to do. Um, and if you're tasked with exploring, you know, how can three, you know, can 3D printing help our business, um, then having a bad experience, you don't typically go through that too many times before you decide to stop banging your head against a wall. So one of the things that, you know, we're really keen to do is to provide the advice that's going to make sure that, you know, you don't have a bad experience because it is, you know, I got into this about 10 years ago, Mike, sort of foolishly thinking, how difficult can this be? Um, and, the, <laughs> and 10 years later, it's still incredibly difficult. Um, and, you know, working with the University of Waterloo, you know, we have, you're right, we're, we're agnostic, we're primarily, Waterloo is primarily focused on metals technology, but, you know, there are so many different technologies, so many different materials, you know, every day we're reading of something, something new. And, and that's almost part of the problem because, 
again, as a consumer, the, the tendency is to think, well, shouldn't I just wait on something, you know, it'll get better and it'll get cheaper. And the answer is, yes, it will, both of those things. But what you're foregoing by that is your, your organization's kind of learning curve. Um, you know, how do you actually use these kinds of tools? So, you know, email is a lot better today. today. We don't have dial-up modems, et cetera. You know, we're, um, but we're skilled use, you know, if you'd never ever used email, then, you know, um, hopefully it'd be an intuitive experience. Additive, additive often may not be that intuitive. And, you know, metal is sometimes, you know, a bit of a rude awakening compared to plastic art. Perception is that, you know, we've been doing metalworking for longer than plastic, so it should be, it should be better, right? And, you know, often, you know, uh, I'm going to say it's, uh, it's just, it's complicated. So sometimes people come, you know, maybe their kids, maybe themselves, they've got a plastic printer. Uh, and again, they're looking to sort of make a step in, you know, where plastic isn't going to do the job. Uh, and getting into the metal sometimes can be a bit of a rude awakening. And again, you know, Canada Makes is here to help people, um, you know, uh, de-risk de how they take how they take the next step. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's always struck me every conversation that I've had with somebody in this space is it seems as though there was a, those one or two periods of hype, you know what I mean, where it, it sort of boiled over into the public consciousness and there was a lot of talk about all the wondrous kinds of Star Trek kinds of capabilities, but it sort of set in this misperception that this was, as you said, like an algorithm that you could just simply upload a file it would magically get created and come out the other side exactly what you wanted. But there's a great deal that goes on before a machine ever gets a hold of that 3D file. And there's a lot that goes that can go on, especially in the metal uh, printing part of it. There's a lot that needs to go on after the fact, potentially, uh, depending on the application, of course. And, you know, I mean, to a certain extent, that sort of I imagine catches a lot of people by surprise as to, well, you know, these overhangs or these cavities or these supported, these points need to be supported, or we have to put it through a special post-processing uh, kind of, um, yeah, post-processing procedure or all these kinds of things that, that, uh, that someone who is deeply knowledgeable about these technologies mm -hmm. can help one through, but you can't just sort of, allow Google or, or some other thing to just say, okay, send me your file and I'll give you a quote. Well, I think, think you're right, Steve, that, you know, there has been a lot of hype. Let's come back to the Star Trek uh, analogy. Cause I'm sure. sorry. Uh, I, that was I, a very I, long question. And I said a lot. There no, 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 no. But, <laughs> but it's interesting, isn't it? If we look at Star Trek, that um, the, uh, the sort of replicator, they'll ask for a cup of coffee uh, mm. and, and it'll, re and boom, they've got a cup of coffee, but when they're having a battle with the Klingons, it's funny that Scotty in the engine room isn't able to 3d print himself a new warp drive, um, just True. like that. So, so there's, there's a bit, there's a bit of a miss, there is a bit of a mismatch, but, but the, 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 um, uh, you know, and, and there's a lot of talk about 3d printing and supply chains and, you know, what impact will it have? I'm, uh, you know, trying to sort of unpack the parts of your question. You talked a lot about sort of design expertise and, and you know, kind of understanding the process end to end. And I think there was a survey came out fairly recently. I think it was from Ascentium. And it was sort of, you know, what are the 
what are the biggest barriers to it to adoption and um they were all in fairness they were all pretty equal but one of them was uh we need to increase the um, uh, designers awareness of 3D printing was that the expertise of designers was number one and then and then rapidly followed and we need to change the mindset of production and you know when you talk Mike about changing people the way people think I, I'm not a I'm not a big fan of that. And my experience, okay. my, my experience says that, you know, it's kind of overblowing it. And actually it's it's not as difficult as, you know, we need to completely rethink this. In all of my experience, typically helping people um, get familiar with, you know, yes, there are some, there are some limitations, et cetera, but people pick this up really quickly. Um, mm. And the the best way to do it is you know is is not to read about it but is to do it. And again, that's one of the yeah. things you talked about the demonstration program that uh, IRAP um, sponsors and Frank DeFalco right. runs. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, this is a, this is a, and again, it's a great way for people to um, dip their toes in the water. But you know, again, with uh, like not just sort of throwing it over the fence and getting back. There's no point getting back a five thousand dollar paperweight. Um, you mm -hmm. know, you need to you need to learn something. And typically, it's very difficult to learn about a process. I mean, if I gave you Mike, uh, you know, your readership uh, and your listenership, you know, design design engineers. Um, you know, I'm really from a manufacturing background, and you know, but if I give you two components that have both been produced to a design and say, well, you know, which one was from the better supplier? Um, you, you probably can't make a judgment. Um, you'll, you'll really struggle to sort of unpack um, what went on. And it's really the same with that printing process that just getting a component back and, and maybe being dissatisfied with it, um, it. It's maybe as simple as we didn't ask the right questions um, because, you know, we just, Put it into an algorithm and said, you know, press Control P. So that's that's really we'd like to get to the Control P replicate stage, um, and you know, and, and we will. Um, but but you know, we are still a way off from that yet. So the the need for human intervention and for people to literally to collaborate to share knowledge. You know, how do you how do you you know if it's not about completely rethinking but if it's about you know improving your expertise then you kind of have to get your you know your hands dirty your your, your finger your mouse finger dirty you know um you, you've got to do something but it's not that it really is not that difficult mike i see okay okay and to be fair i mean the subtractive industry like the cnc industry they're not at the control p i mean there's a lot that goes into configuring uh you know running simulations of how a cut sequence sequence of cuts or 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 millings or or whatever is going to go i mean these are and that's been around for you know 100 years i don't i i tend to think of it in those terms as just sort of instead of taking away away metal we're adding it or plastic or whatever um so i mean in each of these cases you have domains of expertise and and you would trust those who have done a lot of, call it aerospace or automotive or or product development. I mean, those guys know their stuff and they can look at something and say, well, we need to change the design here and here, and uh, we'll need to do these post-processing things. And it's I, I think of them along the same lines, basically. Uh, and I don't know if that's fair or or Yeah, I think it's 
think it's completely fair, Mike. I mean, most drawings, because <laughs> we do still use drawings, don't we? Yeah. You know, they do, they often say, don't they, if in doubt, ask. And I think that's, you know, that, and it's there for a good reason. Yeah. Uh, you know, so again, this, this is, and, you know, I used to supply parts to Formula One teams and, you know, it, it was great because we supplied parts to Formula One teams and to Rolls-Royce. And the great thing with the Formula One team is you could call them up at 10 o'clock in the morning and by 11 o'clock, you'd have an answer to your question. Whereas calling up an aerospace supplier, you know, good, good luck with that process. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, so this sort of, um, you know, interaction, um, learning from people. And, you know, you talk about machining and is machining control P. We have feature-based machining. Um, so, it, it, you know, feature-based machining is just like that. You know, yes, it'll automatically recognize features. It'll choose the right tools and it'll just go and machine your part. And it's fantastic for some things. And for some, some uh, categories, families of parts, it's probably not so good. And again, you know, I think additive, additive is the same. And we're going to see you know, some parts will become quite commoditized and they will be this, this sort of control P sort of solution. And, and, you know, there'll be high volume and things like the cost of materials will become really critical. Uh, mm. And there'll be, there'll be other parts that are sort of more uh, higher added value, lower, lower volumes, um, more specialist requirements, where there'll be different kind of criteria for, for judging them. But uh, in, in, in all... Um, aspects of it mike you know people are going to be critically involved and and you know design probably design does hold the biggest um has the biggest lever you know design has more power than you know the tool of additive manufacturing in many ways um hmm. so you know it's still um so to all of the designers out there you know um you know i think you know they're going to become um you know very important going forward and certainly in say aerospace which is sort of really my background um it's it's a little bit business case neutral um right now for printing components but for parts that can be redesigned you know the future looks a lot brighter the the thing with you know redesigning parts is it obviously it takes it takes time it takes resource it takes willpower um, you know, so, you know, you need to have some of the easier wins along the way as well. So when you say design is more powerful than the, uh, is it, is it thinking in terms of consolidating what used to be an assembly? Like, I, I, I think of like the, the examples that pop to mind are like rocket engines, right? And stuff that used to be 15 parts of it all, you know, that would be within incredible tolerances, they'd all get fitted together and they would make one sort of you know, fuel tank slash uh, rocket nozzle slash igniter or whatever and stuff. And then in 3D printing, you can just sort of make one one part out of all what used to be numerous parts. Or is it like when in CNCing stuff, it costs me more money to take material away. So the more basic I can make a shape, the less it costs. Whereas you could make the argument that 3D printing is the opposite. The more the more material I add, the more expensive it is. So it's almost the op. It's kind of the opposite. Is it? Or is it that kind of thing? Or is it? Is it something completely different that I? Um, it's it's a, it's a little of everything. Let's again okay. just try try to, you know, let's just talk about this sort of. Is it about you know um, adding as little as possible, or or you know um, you know additive versus subtractive? I would say putting on a subtractive mindset. 
that you know I can carve great chunks of material away really, really efficiently. But if you go and put one tiny little fillet radius in a really awkward place, while the, the number of kilograms I have to remove to, to put it in there is trivial, the amount of pain you cause me as a designer is disproportionate. So I think that we should be careful about sort of this really broad sort of, um, if you like, per kilogram basis or whatever, um, that the, the devil is in the, is in the detail. Sure. Um, your, your point about, you know, is it about consolidating parts? That, that is certainly one incredibly powerful aspect of it. And, you know, uh, the number of parts in a typical car right now is the order of 30,000. Um, mm. the, the number of parts in a 787 is several million. Um, and trying to manage all of those parts um, uh, requires a lot of resource. You know, somebody has to order them, machine them, uh, inspect them, you know, assemble them, etc., cetera, um, uh, carry them as inventory. So uh, reducing the number of parts is certainly a powerful weapon, but it, it comes back, I think, Mike, to what I talked about resource. And as you start consolidating parts and, move, you know, what are the boundaries of your system from a sort of um, design perspective? And as you make, you know, it, am I going to optimize just the um, uh, the conrod, for example, in a, you know, <laughs> assuming we're going to have conrods anymore. Um, but if, you know, if I optimize the conrod and I take mass out of it, then shouldn't I be able to take mass out of the crankshaft as well and the bearings that go with it and the casing? And so it kind of, you know, to truly optimize something, um, you know, can be an awful lot of work. So sort of choosing your battles, choosing your battles wisely. And again, I think this is why, you know, my my advice would be to get started, um, to mm. get, you know, get somebody on your team. You know, the, as I said, the Canada Makes Network is literally hundreds. It's it's thousands of people. It's hundreds of machines. And I don't know, Steve, I haven't done a, a man years thing, but, you know, it's got to be thousands of man years of, of experience that, you know, you can, you can draw upon. And, um, you know, is it, a, is it a free resource? In, in many ways, yes, it is, because, you know, uh, asking for help doesn't cost anything. You know, clearly, ultimately, the idea is to drive business and to drive adoption. Uh, you know, and that's really what Canada makes is about. It's not about gotcha. sort of trying to divide up a fixed piece of pie in in different ways. It's about you know rising tide lifting all ships, and yeah, yeah. and in particular, you know, Canada's got a lot of small companies. We should be good at providing sort of customized, let's just call it service, not necessarily products. And again, I think there's a you know, Mike, it would be a mistake for people to think that. It's only, you know, this only applies if I have my own product. It, it, it doesn't, mm. it applies if you make anything because the way that you make something, that is your process. And again, this is just a way to help you make things better. It may not be that, you know, you, the actual product is in any way impacted by additive manufacturing, but the way that you put it together can be very positively uh, impacted by additive manufacturing. You know, maybe it's something as simple as a plastic um, fixture to hold some parts together while you part mark them, while you weld them, while you glue them, wh whatever. Um, you know, it, it's often the, you know, it's these easy, easy things uh, and then things just take off from there. So, uh, but, but, you know, you have to be able to design um, so CAD is is still, you know, a key part of this, you know, that is the universal language. 
yeah. um, you have to be able to speak uh, <laughs> to speak CAD. Is it what are the main sort of things that you run into? Like if you're pitching 3D technology to somebody who's on the fence or is curious but doesn't know yet, what are the what are the main I, I don't know if they're misconceptions or just sort of hesitancies that you run into? I think the first thing I normally say to somebody, Mike, is okay, um, you know, what's wrong with the way you're doing it right now? You know, mm. that's, that's always my first question to somebody. Um, and if the answer is, oh, it's too expensive, um, which okay. is which is eight times out of 10 what they say, True. then, you know, that, well, that's a tough one. You know, wake up and smell the coffee. Um, 3D printing isn't some sort of magic um, dust that we sprinkle on. Well, if, if there is any magic dust, it's very expensive magic dust. Um, and, uh, you know, so making just, you know, is it a cheaper way to make something? Typic typically it isn't. And I, you know, I normally say to companies, um, you know, look at how you're doing it right now. And if you've been doing it for, you know, 10 years or whatever, hopefully you've got a pretty good way of, you know, you've, you've been competing, you've figured out how to do it. And it's probably not that, you know, 3D printing is a better way than, you know, if you're currently, you know, uh, machining, stamping, forging, injection molding. Um, so, you know, it's, it's those companies uh, where they're maybe, you know, it could be a startup, Mike, where they have no manufacturing expertise um, because, you know, why, why would they? They're a startup. You know, sure. we're, not, we're not born with manufacturing expertise. Yeah. Um, so, you know, again, 3D printing can be incredibly useful for the prototyping phase. Um, it may or may not be suitable, you know, as you go forward. Um, so the, the startups need to be aware of, you know, kind of what they can do to get their kind of minimum viable product. Um, and, you know, the more established companies, um, typically it's, 3D printing probably doesn't apply. The normal way is to take our best-selling product and let's try 3D printing it. And you know, I would normally say that should be hopefully a lesson in futility because your best-selling product, you know, is not going to be better 3D printed because you know you're really good at the way you make it. But it's it's actually um, something else. It, it may go into how you put it together, but it's not actually that we should replace the stampings and, and weldments with 3D printed components. It's, it's, it's not that at all, but it might be, hey, we could put this together better, um, you know, assuming that you own your own product. But a lot of companies don't own their own products, you know, and, and again, your um, listenership is, you know, if, if it's design engineers, you know, they're working on new products, which is great. That's definitely the you know, that's the fertile area for 3D printing, as opposed to I'm building to print, um, which is what a lot of our manufacturing base does. And there's less scope for the, um, probably the building, but there's there's certainly scope for it in the how you assemble it. I imagine one gets sort of locked in a box yes. of what, what traditional technologies have allowed them to do. And it's hard to think out term until you sort of get what, 3D printing allows you to do and designs and it's hard to think, you know what I mean, in a fourth or a fifth dimension, basically, if if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I think as a um, you know, if you're if you spent 20, you know, if you spent 20 or 30 years in, in, you know, in an industry 
and you've used certain techniques successfully and, and you're expert at, you know, as I say, working with castings, working with injection moldings, working with brazed assemblies, I don't know, then, um, you know, you have, you have all of this knowledge. And likewise, if you're new into this company, you're likely to, you know, encounter this is how we do things and, and um, you know, that the appetite for um, trying something different is is often quite is often quite low. So I think you're absolutely right, Mike. That it it's it's hard when you're good at something to compete with that. You know the mm. the analogy I use is with you know um, metal aircraft and composite or metal structures and composite structures. We've got really really good at making metal structures over the years, and as a result, composites you know, um, certainly struggled to break into that. I remember speaking to Bert Rutan and, uh, you know, he was the, um, the guy who did with scaled composites. Um, and, you know, he said, you know, when you look at the problems with corrosion, with fatigue, in a way you think we'd be crazy if we were starting from scratch to work with metal, but we just got really good at it. And again, you know, I think this is true with any sort of manufacturing technology. When you, when you master it, then, you know, you set the bar pretty high. Um, which, which I think is a good thing, and that you know, and that's why I think that three D printing won't just you know come in and automatically displace really good ways of making things, but opening your mind up and you know uh, exploring how would I do this? And you're absolutely right, Mike. That you know sometimes the if you go into something designing it for you know um, let's say subtractive machining, and again a lot of our CAD tools tend to sort of you know they they're definitely predisposed that way, aren't they? Just with the, the commands that they have, we tend to use the sort of um, sure. the, 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 the sort of subtractive commands more than we use sort of loft um, as, you know, as a command or extrude even. But uh, so, you know, but, but sometimes trying to compete, trying to actually say, let's, let's put two designs you know, we'll, we'll run one through our kind of a conventional route and one through a more innovative route and at least sort of trying to compare and contrast them. I think when you're trying to make a decision, you, you always should have two viable sort of creative mm. alternatives. Otherwise, you're not really making a decision. So, but again, that takes some resource. It takes some willpower. But I'd encourage people to, to try and do that. And often they will look, they will look very different. Um, and your initial go at, let's say, a 3D printed solution, um, maybe, you know, you would expect it to be more naive um, than maybe your probably quite elegant solution using the technologies that you know how to do. And, you know, that's, again, part of part of the industry's job that the, um, is, you know, well, where does this technology specific, you know, we talk about it getting better but, you know, it, what do we mean by that? What exactly does it need to do? And yeah, you know, we always want it to be faster and cheaper, but there are, you know, there are some things that we particularly want it to do. You know, if it has the ability to create fantastic detail, um, which certainly it, it, it often does, but it takes, you know, an incredibly long time to do it, uh, then, mm. you know, maybe that's, that's not going to be the best solution. So, I think industry has, you know, a job to play in terms of feeding back, um, you know, what is it that uh, they're really look they're really looking for. Um, but of course, everybody is often really just looking to survive to live another day. Um, so hmm. it's you know it's it, you know it's it's again easy to say that it's harder to do it.
to what extent is it like if I, I'm thinking like if I'm a design engineer, like I know what aluminum 661 is. I, I know its properties. I know its performance. If I make a part out of that, I'm confident it can do this. But if I'm fusing or sintering or in some way building something out of, you know, out of beads or, or other kinds of materials, do I have that same sense of confidence yeah, absolutely. The, um, you know, what are the design allowables? And, you know, it can literally be a million dollar question, sadly, mm, um, okay. you know, to, to answer that. So often the, you know, if you sort of flip it, it's sort of, well, what's the cost of failure? Um, you know, how excited would you be, Mike, if I bring you this fantastic component that you've never seen before made of, you know, some material that you don't understand, but you're so excited about what maybe you could do with this that, you know, you want to find out what you can do versus you want to immediately toss it in the bin because you don't understand it. Mm. Um, so, you know, there are two, there are two different kinds of mindsets. Um, yeah. And, you know, certainly, you know, Formula One uses um, uh, 3D printing for safety critical components, including things like the roll hoops that, you know, we've seen some spectacular um, spectacular accidents, but fortunately, no, no uh, serious injuries. Um, you know, so uh, you know they they do not take this um, stuff lightly. But, but but equally, they you know they may not be able to use it everywhere they want to be able to use it. And again, people would say, well, you know, it's different for Formula One. You know, cost is not you know part of their equation. They they do have a cost cap now. So interestingly. Um, that you know things are coming more under more under the microscope but the you know figuring out the design allowables um, just like with composites you know people were terrified weren't they Mike that you know well, I'm going to drop a I'm going to drop a wrench on the wing and you know the wing will then drop off on takeoff or something because it, it was cracked inside and I couldn't detect it and you know I'm um, you know it's a glass half full glass half empty I'm much more interested in the possibilities and that we will we will figure out the, um, you know, the standards that we need and the, you know, and again, the role of standards should be that everybody shouldn't have to reinvent the wheel because that yeah. definitely, that that is not the rising tide that lifts all ships. So I am a big believer in standards, but I'm, you know, I think it, it, it very much depends where you're coming from in terms of uh, can I work to these design labels? And, you know, let me say that there are design labels for these materials now. And, you know, mm -hmm. while 6061 or 7075, um, you know, in terms of aluminium might be some of the harder materials to say, hey, I want to 3D print it. It's not, um, people are people are doing that. Um, and getting design labels, um, you know, is is available now. Um, but, you know, again, if you're an aerospace company, the requirements you may have to go through to certify a part are going to be quite different than, sure. if, than, if, you're, than if you're a startup um, and you've got a product uh, and, you know, you, the testing that you're going to do is going to be field testing. You're basically, you know, we've been working with cycling companies and, you know, you're going to test this thing out and, you know, make sure that it really works. And if you're happy with it, you're pretty sure your customers are going to be happy with it. That's a very, that's clearly a very different kind of, um, uh, uh, you know, bar that you're setting, but not necessarily an easier one to achieve, but maybe one that just doesn't require a million dollars, but we're still going to need testing for sure. Um, but sharing of information is certainly something that is going to help designers because, 
Um, you know, I, the, the a kind of glib answer, Mike, might be, well, you know, if I gave you design labels that were, let's say, 80% of what you're used to working with, um, you know, I'm going to knock everything back and have a knockback factor, then do you still think that there's enough promise that you can design something that will still be a lot better even with that? You know, mm. I'm kind of pitching it back at you as a designer. Because if you say, yeah, you know, I think actually, um, you know, even, even at 80% of the, the parameters, you know, I, I could win. Then, you know, I'd say, well, you know, that, that to me, look, that's the kind of case where, you know, more, that's maybe where we should start at a very sort of de-risk sort of point of view. And then you can, you can drive it up towards the, towards the high end. Are there products that lend themselves the most to taking advantage of? I mean, if, if a listener is thinking about what kind of new product does this new thing I'm thinking of lend itself to the advantages of 3D printing? Um, I suppose I, I, will tr I will try to answer because it's a, it's a fair question, Mike. I would say if your part is very big or very um, heavy, hmm. that then uh, and and needs to be big and maybe needs to be heavy, then probably uh, additive is going to not be such a good fit. I mean, typically the 3D printing can sort of print parts up to, um, you know, let's, let's call it a meter, you know. Um, so it's kind of like, uh, again, maybe the early days coming back to subtractive machining when, you know, what could, what, how big a part could you machine? Yeah. Um, you know, clearly these days we can machine, you know, wings, far, you know, we can machine obscenely big things. And likewise, we can, we can print very big things, but they are the exception to the rule. Yeah. Um, so having a part that is not too big, the, the sort of coffee cup sized uh, component um, is, is a really good fit, like nearly every single technology um, can print something like that. As you get up towards something that is, you know, the one meter size I'm talking about, your options rapidly decrease in terms of what technology can do it. So I would say, so the sweet spot probably is something that you can pick up as a human. And if you can't pick it up, probably not. Um, that's, that's a huge, huge generalization, but at least hopefully that's a, it's a little bit, little bit useful um, in, sure. in terms of where you might, where you might apply it. I'm just thinking of ways that people maybe approach you guys and you have to, you know what I mean? Like if, if there was sort of a, a frequently asked kind of, uh, or a frequent misconception that you run into or a series of conceptions that you can just clear up uh, or that you have to clear up on a regular basis that, that just to give people a guideline as to what kinds of things to expect or what kinds of how to have a realistic expectation of of what 3D printing can bring to what they do. And I think, uh, Mike, you know, this is where the, the the Canada Makes website will try to answer those kind of questions okay. in a sort of in a, in a public facing way. Sure. Um, so, um, you know, uh, Frank and I in the early day in Canada Makes 1.0, we did get asked these questions many, many times. Um, and so we built some web tools to try to answer them because it seemed like a, a, you know, a more efficient thing to do. Sure. And again, you know, so the Canada Makes will have this, these kind of uh, public facing tools to help people make decisions, but it, but it will have that, you know, these, these kind of sort of um, general answers and never, 
you know, they may help you, but eventually you probably do want to, you know, pick the phone up and ask somebody in a, in a little bit more detail. And again, that's where Steve comes in at Canada Makes. You know, he's the he's the face and voice. Um, he's the person that you want to reach out to. Um, and you know, he has a you know he has fifty or fifty uh, organizations behind him where he can go um, um, for help. And we have technology behind it as well that as a member. Um, we have more advanced uh, networking capabilities because it, you know it's again about communicating efficiently and how do we actually put business into the network. But you know the the first step is is to capture the interest from somebody. And so uh, you know talking about the the website, I I was looking over it recently and stuff, and and you guys have a great sort of. Um... Uh, a way of showing everybody across the country who's a member, uh, where they're located, you know, contact names. How, how, how would you recommend that people contact, talk to you? Well, actually, both options you laid out are, are valid. So if somebody wanted okay. to do a local search and they were looking for somebody in their neighborhood, somebody, you know, in their province that they could go and speak to directly, that option is there. But we also, we have our Ask an Expert topic like people can come to us at any time ask any sort of question i'll filter it out to who we think is the best option or even we have our newsletter that's going to start up again that's going to oh great promote Sorry. each of these companies so that people will have more information on how to get a hold of them so yeah mul multiple different ways um obviously the contact us button is there we encourage as many questions to come in as possible and we'll get as many quality answers back out and also even just on another another way of going too is we have our LinkedIn group as well as a Twitter handle as well. So some questions can come in that way or you could follow us in those uh, capacities as well. Okay. And what's, what's uh, how do they get in touch with you on LinkedIn? Is it at, at Canada makes or underscore makes or? Uh, it's just Canada space makes, Canada makes. Gotcha. So okay. um, we can put the link into the chat here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll include that with the description uh, as well, with yeah, the post and so on and so forth. Um, all right. Is there anything else, guys, that you think is important that I I didn't know to ask, or or that you think that you'd like to add? No, I think, you I think we've been we've been around the houses. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, um, okay. You know, we'll we'll see uh, uh, if it's if it's in, interesting to, interesting to people. But but uh, yeah, um, you know. Thank you uh, for the opportunity. You know, it's certainly been good to talk to, talk to you. And, uh, you know, as you say, I think the the Star Trek replicator is my favorite, <laughs> favorite bit of it about Scotty in his engine room should be 3D printing his warp drive, shouldn't he? So, right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, or just make a whole new ship. Make as many as you want. Absolutely. Uh, why, why, are the why are the shields only at 10%? Let's just 3D print some new shields. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, I should ask um, for for those companies that are thinking about being a part of the association. Uh, I imagine you guys do outreach to other three D printing, in, you know, uh, related businesses. Um, is there is there a pitch to make that we should include to them? Wow, no, uh, that's a great question. We definitely are working with some other networks. Uh, a few that come to mind just off the bat: the High AM Group. Uh, some of the university groups, a few other, even just NGen as a whole. So um, obviously we'd love to be in collaboration with anybody. So anybody can reach out to us, info at canadamakes.ca, or they can just go to the website, drop us a line. We'll definitely get back to them right away with any inquiries. And uh, partnerships and collaboration are key. 
uh, as we all talked about here, uh, Mark definitely laid it out. We all need to work together to make this work. And um, the more people we can have on board, the better. Well, Mark and Steve, I appreciate you taking the time with Design Engineering, and uh, we'll hope to talk to you soon. Thanks very Absolutely. much, Mark. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out the Design Engineering Podcast's other episodes at www.design-engineering.com slash podcast, or subscribe to the podcast via the major streaming services, including Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And finally, this episode was brought to you by IGUS Canada, a manufacturer of self-lubricating high-performance plastics. These plastics are used in their 3D filaments and powders, plane bearings, linear systems, and cable carriers. Their parts are clean, hygienic, long-lasting, as well as appropriate for high-duty applications. Visit igus.ca to find out more or to chat with one of their experts. Thank you.